You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Thomas, are you going to share your screen for the video or... Is this the one where I swear? That's Robert Enever. He's the head of science and conservation at Fishtech Marine, a company that creates sustainable fishing gear. I didn't know that that one was widely available, actually. Never mind. And this is a video of Rob on a boat. His team had just hauled up a crab pot from the ocean floor. It's basically this black mesh cage, and there's some little crabs in it, as well as a bunch of shells. Okay, so here we are, six miles off. Land's End, which is in the southwest of the UK, on board the fishing festival Free Jays, and the captain, John Ashworth, just pulled the first pot. You can see everyone's really excited. It's got a, a dozen or so scallops in there, and that's something that no one's ever, ever seen before. Scallops hang out on the seafloor, but they don't normally swim into crab pots. This video captures the moment that Rob and some of his colleagues came across an accidental discovery. And so every time we hauled a pot with lights in, it had scallops. And every time we hauled a pot that didn't have lights, it just didn't have scallops. And, you know, it was that eureka moment. And for some reason, no one stumbled across this before. It's 2022. Like, I just don't understand why no one's actually discovered this. Because, you know, this, this is the potential for a new fishery here and a low-impact fishery. I was massively sceptical. He was sceptical because normally people gather scallops through practices that can damage the seafloor. But if they could lure those scallops to swim into the pots on their own, well, that could be transformative for the industry. What's remarkable is they weren't even looking for scallops in the first place. So we were experimenting with lights in fisheries. Back in 2019, they were testing to see if LED lights attached to the pots might attract the crabs and lobsters instead of having to lure them in with expensive bait. And so one of my colleagues was a fisherman, a lobster fisherman. And so we sent him a bunch of lights and we said, just tell us what happens. A month later, the fisherman got back in touch. He said, well, no, no, there was no real noticeable increase or decrease in, in crab or lobster. But I did notice, you know, there are a lot of scallops turning up in the pots. And these pots are not designed whatsoever to catch scallops. And so I said, well, you know, for context, you know, what would you see in a year in, in when you shoot your pots? And he said, probably about five scallops out of 35,000 pots. And wow. I said, well, what were you seeing this time? And he was like about 10 to 15 for every 50 pots. So it was like a 1,500-fold increase. And so we applied for some funding to undertake some proper trials, and that video was the first time we went aboard and hauled the pots. Robert and his team had stumbled onto a scallop disco. We still don't completely understand why the little bivalves go towards the light, but it's clear they're lining up at the door like it's Studio 54. And that could point toward a new and less damaging way to fish for them. So today on the show, science, industry, and conservation converge on a humble sea creature. I'm Aaron Scott, and you're listening to Shortwave, the daily scallop podcast from NPR. For those who are not familiar with these uh, delightful little creatures, what 
are scallops? What do they look like? What do they do? Where do they fit into the ecosystem? Scallops are kind of like a clam. They've got two sides. Um, they kind of cover themselves with a little bit of sand and they sit there filter feeding and they keep the environment nice and clean. They're food for, you know, octopus or, or lobster or other marine animals. So they're just an important part of the ecosystem, but they also a particularly tasty uh, food <laughs> item uh, <laughs> and they're they're you know they're very delicious and because of that there's there's fisheries all over the world that that harvest them so rob how are scallops usually fished so traditionally maybe 95% of landed scallops are caught using either um trawls or dredges and these are fishing gear types that interact with the seabed um a dredge for example has teeth on it and those teeth penetrate the seabed and and lift the scallops up into metal bags Mm -hmm. um a terrestrial equivalent might be a plow going through a wildflower meadow and so what does that then mean to the seabed how does that affect all the other critters that are living down there it depends on what the seabed is if it was like a reefy environment, you know, sedimentary environment with fragile sponges and like slow growing, long, long living species that if you put a dredge through that, it'll utterly destroy it for a decade. And, you know, that's been shown. But so there's the possibility we could change all that with the addition of just some good lighting. So, so Rob, tell us about how lights first got on your radar as something to catch crab and maybe even scallops. So there's a group of scientists um, in Memorial University in Canada that looked into the impacts of light um, on snow crab. And they, they realised that if if you use light in traps with bait, it increased the catch rate of snow crabs. And we're like, wow, that's that's something that we, we should look into because in the market out there, there's, there's not a low-cost, you know... Um, light that can go down to a thousand meters it's all really expensive equipment we we're like well if we can make something this this could be really transformational in terms of how fishermen catch they don't have to use bait i mean bait supply is a massive issue and so you were working to figure out kind of affordable lights that could go down here and then suddenly scallops also took a liking to them uh can you tell us a little bit about what you've found is as you've tested this further um and what sort of results there are in, in terms of just how many scallops are attracted to light. We've been working in like a, a lab facility here at Fishtech where we set up um, tanks. We've been putting the scallops in the tank, seeing if we can replicate what happens in the natural environment in a sort of tank condition. And sure enough, we can. So if you if you put a light at the end of the tank and the scallops in the middle, then they swim towards the light. And that's brilliant for us because we can then say, right, what if we change the color of the light or the light intensity or whether that light flashes and things like that? So what we've actually discovered is that actually the white light probably wasn't the best light. We've, we've concluded that the blue lights are, seem to be the ones that the scallops are really attracted to. The idea that scallops can see is surprising enough. The idea that they can see different colors of lights. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of the amazing thing that is or are scallop eyes and and why you think they might actually be attracted to different colors of light it's a good question i mean they've got very basic vision they have 200 up to 200 eyes each scallop 
but it, it's not like eyes. the vision that you and I would have. It's very basic light, dark, shadow information going on there. And so the idea that, you know, they, they can actually see the trap or see anything is, I don't think it's that clear cut. I think it is, our thinking is that they're able to pick out if there's zooplankton or, or plankton around the light, like moths to a flame, that they're able to swim to that and get an optimal uh, feeding okay. environment and they can pick out their prey items for feeding more easily. And so, I mean, it's really cool and the way that this is is not just you know learning a better fishing technique but it's almost like we're learning something about scallops and mollusk vision and biology oh totally like so i mean we are liaising with like the scallop experts in the world on this and they're blown away like you know there's there's a guy in the states um professor spicer um he's been advising us and he's 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 a neurobiologist and looks at the optimal wavelengths of of light um, being received by um, scallops. And he was the one that sort of suggested, well, try blue light. So, I mean, we fed the footage that you guys have seen of the scallops swimming to the light. And equally, you know, these scallop scientists, eminent scallop scientists all over the world are, are, are really surprised by this. So there's plenty of PhDs in working out why they're doing it. Um, but for us, it's just an opportunity here to have a low-impact fishery. So uh, I, I got to ask, uh, who and how did you all come up with the name uh, Scallop Discos? Oh, that is a great question because uh, <laughs> it wasn't me. And like, because um, I'm a scientist by heart, <laughs> I, I found that a little bit uncomfortable to go out with Scallop Disco because firstly, the light wasn't flashing and it wasn't multicolored. Um, and so like my... Uh... Yeah, so so you're the, the scientist in you that would describe disco lights as feeling uncomfortable. That it's... Yeah, exactly. But we went with it and my goodness, what exposure it got by having the hashtag Scallop Disco. Um, and that was brilliant because... You know, if it was left to me, it would have just been really boring and, and scientific and factual. But actually, when you get, you know, someone who's involved in media in these things, then the exposure globally, like I wouldn't be doing this interview, I'm sure. And so <laughs> the opportunities to then apply this in other fisheries globally are, are massively increased as a result of a, a silly strap line, which is essentially what it was. <laughs> uh, wow. The powers of marketing, which really gets to... Yeah, totally. Yeah. To, I mean, the question that, that we wanted to know is, I mean, what sort of impact do you hope this could have on the fishing industry? And do you think it could actually replace dredging? Or do you think it will be more of kind of the organic version of, of scallop fishing? Yeah, I don't think it's going to replace scallop dredging entirely. Um, if we just take the UK, for example, I think there's something like 100 million scallops caught every year. Now, you've got to catch a lot of scallops in your pots to start you know making a dent on that but these are going to be a premium product they're going to sell for more they're going to be caught by people that have never caught them before mm -hmm. in the uk and as in the states and elsewhere in the world there's lots more marine protected areas getting set up so any opportunity for a more sustainable low impact form of fishing is something that people will you know, pursue. Which is really interesting. I mean, we spend a lot of time on this show talking to scientists um, at, you know, universities and labs or government agencies who are kind of doing the basic research. You're doing the research, but then you're also having to find and develop the commercial application. I'm for, for the company you work for, Fish Tech. Um, yeah. 
Can you talk a little bit about kind of the pros and cons of being involved both in the research side, but also doing it for, you know, a for-profit company? What are the pros and cons of navigating that? So if I was doing this job and I worked in government or, you know, academia, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't happen quickly. Hmm. It would be slow, protracted and very expensive. Um, so the private sector are able to be much more nimble. If we need to change our mind, you know, we can do it really quickly. Uh, and we work, you know, efficiently and, and cheap because, you know, we're trying to uh, run at a profit. But because we're a private sector company, I guess the negatives are that we're not necessarily considered as scientific mm. as someone from a government institution mm-hmm. or um academia or, or something like that because you've got a profit motive and 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 you know you get thrown well you would say that wouldn't you mm-hmm. so what we try to do to mitigate that is to work closely with academia and universities and have like an arm's length relationship so our science is really independent and that's important because you know I'm a scientist at heart I you know there's absolutely no way I'd break that Hippocratic oath of of honesty and truth just to make a quick buck. That's not going to happen. Rob, thank you so much. It's been a joy to talk with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Aaron. This episode was produced by MC Thomas Liu, edited by DJ Gabriel Spitzer, and fact-checked by Four on the Floor, Rachel Carlson. The audio engineer was Disco, Stu Rushfield, Giselle Grayson is our senior supervising editor, Beth Donovan is our senior director, and Anya Grumman is our senior vice president of programming. Before we turn off the music, quick shout-out to our Shortwave Plus listeners. We appreciate you all. Thank you for being subscribers. Shortwave Plus helps support our show. And if you're a regular listener, we'd love for you to join. It means you can listen every day without sponsor interruptions. Find out more at plus.mpr.org slash shortwave. That's plus.mpr.org slash shortwave. I'm Aaron Scott. Thanks for listening to Shortwave from NPR. Shortwave.